what's happening in this developmental stage with teenagers is they're going from being completely dependent upon another adult, their parent, transitioning into, okay, well, when I turn 18, I'm going to have to be by myself. So I get a lot of parents who are really holding on to that control piece because, you know, it works. It works with toddlers. It works with tweens. That's what we're supposed to do. But with teenagers, we really have to let go and we have to give them some of the control and we have to be able to make sure that they can solve their own problem because we're essentially trying to work ourselves at a job here. Mama! Let's reimagine mom life together. Mama Has Goals is your hub for relatable support and helpful resources that help you fuel yourself alongside motherhood. Your identity is bigger than mom. And whatever your goals are, together, we're making them a reality. I don't know many teens that haven't had a moment that they feel challenged. I think so many adults looking back at high school remember challenging times. They remember times that they felt alone or frustrated or misunderstood. And while that's not everyone, I think it's more than we used to realize. And it's starting to come to light and be really multiplied by social media and all the challenges and demands that teens have these days. And our guest today, Jessalyn Medlock, really talks about how to connect with your teen, how to work with your teen when maybe you've tried so many things. As a mom of younger parents, I also found this conversation super insightful to think about things before we get there. Sometimes when you're in it, you have to find a solution, but how can you do some prep work before you get there, knowing it's still going to have times of challenge in every season? Jesslyn is a licensed master social worker based out of Tennessee, and she graduated with honors in her bachelor's of art in psychology and completed her master's of science in social work. Jesslyn has worked with children and family throughout her career in both community and school-based settings. She's helped countless families address their families' needs and revive their relationships, focusing on offering an alternative to the troubled teen industry. She advocates to avoid all types of -of out-of-home placements, except in cases where the child is in danger. Jessalyn specializes in helping caregivers of challenging teens keep their families connected and ensure their teens' social, emotional, mental health, educational, and physical needs are all met so that their teen can grow up to be healthy, safe, and successful. With the right support, planning, and education, Jessalyn believes that parents have the power to change their families for the better and lay the foundation for a positive relationship with their teen in adulthood. This conversation is so good. We unpack how Jessalyn got involved in helping families. We also talk about what is the teen industry today? What is the mental health system? And how can we support each side of that? What are the common challenges that we are facing? And some different ways that families and individuals can approach this. We talk about different success stories and ways that you can incorporate this today. And we also talk about Jessalyn as a mom and some things that she's going to incorporate for her own support, mental health, balancing her business, and knowing that motherhood always comes with challenges. This is such a good conversation. I cannot wait for you to unpack this. Here we go. Jessalyn, I'm so excited to have you here. I know you're going to bring so much value to this community. What you talk about needs to be talked about more because I don't know anyone that doesn't know a teen that has struggled. I think being a teenager is so hard. We talk about how hard it is to be a mom. Being a teenager is definitely really difficult, not to compare the two, but both difficult. 
I would love to just start with how did you develop this passion for being in social work and helping teens addressing families needs for support around mental health? So I actually started really young. I had a sister who had a lot of problems and she was actually adopted when I was about 18. And she ended up going through the system, which was way before us, but she had like lots and lots of trauma, lots of issues from that. So that inspired me to go into social work. And then when I went into social work, my very first job out of the gate was intensive in-home therapy. And it pretty much just changed my entire perspective on kids in general. So that entire program was dedicated to keeping kids at home, but we specialized in really high risk. So these were kids that were in major danger of getting sent away. So they might go to GD, they might go be put in foster care, they might be put in residential placement, anything like that. And I saw firsthand the damage that does. And so now I'm pretty much on a mission to keep as many kids out of that kind of placement as I possibly can, with the exception of if somebody is obviously being abused or neglected, then I really push for a family environment, preferably foster care, if we can do that. And the only reason I would ever recommend something like that is, like I said, if there's like an abuse or neglect type of situation, but if you just got a kid at home and they're just really struggling and you don't know what to do and your only answer is I'll send them to residential, that's not a good enough reason. We need to really dig in and figure out how we got here and figure all that out because it's all this stuff, all these problems, they're always solvable. There's always something that we can do to address what our parents need and what our kids need. And we can mesh the two usually pretty easily. Yeah. And I know you've worn all three of these hats in one way or the other, but can you break down for our listeners really the difference for this type of work between therapy, coaching, and social workers? Who should they go to for what? Okay. So therapy is designed to reduce the symptoms of a diagnosable problem. Okay. Like, We've got a little called the DSM and you've got all these symptoms and you got to check them off and you have to have a diagnosis and you have to be treating a diagnosis in order to qualify for therapy. In order for insurance to approve it, in order for a therapist to be able to do it ethically, you have to have a reason, a disordered reason to go. Coaching is different. Coaching is we don't have a disorder. We just have problems that need to be solved. Okay. Generally, we're not looking at big mental health issues. Now, can a coach coach you through those? Yes, but they're not treating it. There's a big difference. The difference between treating and coaching is treating is designed to address symptoms. Coaching is designed to give you solutions. Social workers, they can be anything. Gosh, they can be DCS workers. They can be just community outreach workers. They can run groups. Social workers wear a lot of hats. I really prefer, if I'm sending somebody to a therapist, I really prefer to send them to a social worker because Social work education is really broad and the whole driving force behind it is figuring out what kinds of systems we need to put in place and fix to make things better. Whereas if you have a licensed marriage and family therapist, like obviously their focus is marriage and family. Or if you have a counseling, most people are highly trained and very specifically trained to be able to talk you through whatever. So they have a really limited kind of toolbox, both marriage and family therapist mm-hmm. and 
honestly, licensed counselors do simply because their education is designed to be a really specialized field. Whereas social work basically prepares you to meet the needs of the people you're with in any environment that they're in, whether that is a community or a home or a family or whatever. We see this need, we need to meet it. So for me, the big difference between therapy and coaching for me is that I don't have to sit and meticulously go through addressing symptoms. That's not honestly mm-hmm. where my passion is, which is one of the reasons I switched over to coaching. My passion is in helping families actually find the solutions and the stuff that's going to work for them. And coaching is saying, okay, we understand that's there. We understand that this is here. Now let's find some solutions knowing all that information and really create a process to move forward. Not necessarily solving the root cause, but just knowing it's there and saying, okay, that's there. Now let's move over here. I absolutely love that breakdown. Now you talk a lot about helping troubled teens and the troubled teen industry. That is like such a pendulum, right? So transparently, we can say that some teens have bigger problems and bigger things they're navigating than others. And one kid waking up late and not making their bed may feel like a troubled teen to some home dynamics. And then we have a totally different ballgame over somewhere else. Right. How do you help these conversations within your own community? And what portion of troubled teens do you best serve? The teenagers that I serve best are the ones that are like, we've tried everything else. We've done all the other stuff. We've read all the books, we've done all the things, and this kid is still struggling. So my specialization is specifically related to teenagers that have real high-risk issues. So they're either hurting themselves or someone else, or they're using substances, or they've got suicidal thoughts, or depression, or anxiety. It's usually really big issues that have kind of spiraled out of control is almost always Mm -hmm. what has happened. And we get to this place where I get parents that are just like, I'm done everything and I don't know what else to do. Like, help. Yeah. And so for the parent that is maybe not there yet, what are some ways that they can implement things jumping off of this podcast? If they're like, I'm starting to see a path with my teen that I'm worried where it may go. We're not there yet. We haven't tried everything. The teen is not spiraling out of control, but we're starting to have some communication issues or I'm seeing some issues. I'm worried about what friends they're around, their association. What are some like flags that they can put up before it gets too far? Okay, so the first big thing that you're going to want to do is connect with that kid. If you don't have a really good relationship and an open line of communication with that teenager, First of all, they're going to tell you if they're having major issues. And secondly, you can't do anything about what you don't know. So that Mm -hmm. is the honestly the biggest, easiest thing you can do is just to make sure that your kid is aware. First of all, you can handle it and that you want to handle it. You want to be involved. You want to know what's going on because what's happening in this developmental stage with teenagers is they're going from being completely dependent upon another adult, their parent, transitioning into, okay, when I turn 18, I'm going to have to be by myself. So I get a lot of parents who are really holding on to that control piece because, you know, it works. It works with toddlers. It works with tweens. Like, it does. It works. That's what we're supposed to do. But with teenagers, like, we really have to let go 
and we have to give them some of the control and we have to be able to make sure that they can solve their own problem because we're essentially trying to work ourselves at a job here. Like you don't want to have to coach your kid through their whole life. You want them to have all the skills that they need. So when you go back and you practice that connection, you can teach them the skills that they need a whole lot easier if they're invested in you and who you are and what your relationship is. And by the way, you don't have to necessarily be that kid's parent to be that person for them. As long as they trust you and you care about them and they know that you're on their side, honestly, that's enough. Yeah. One of the things that you said that really hit me was that they have to believe that you can handle it and that you want to. And I can definitely see where that's come up in my own life and in so many women in our community is you may be an amazing mom or parent, but that might actually be hurting you because they don't want to put this on you. They don't want to put the heaviness on you, which is so hard, right? Like you're not necessarily doing anything wrong, but they're like, hey, I'm going through this, but I don't want to put this on you. So in that situation, what do you do? Honestly, you show up. You show up and you say, hey, I can see, I see you struggling and I want to know what it is. I want to be with you. I want to help you through it. Let me do that. That's all you have to do. I know it sounds simple, but it's honestly super hard because you get teenagers a lot of the time that are just like, I can't talk to my mom about this. Is it that you can't or is it that you don't want to? Because there's a big difference here. Can mom really not handle it? Or is it that we're just scared mom can't handle it? And if it is really that mom can't handle it, okay, then who's an adult that can? How can we get them to somebody who can? And then kind of build up mom's ability to handle it so she can be that person. Because my big thing is I want my kids to be able to trust their parent, to give them good advice. And I want my parents to be able to trust their kids. Yeah, so good. We need that on repeat. Now, let's say you're not able to handle it or you're just not the best person to. Maybe you can handle it, but you're really just not the best person to support whatever it is that's going on with your kid right now. And they find someone else or they get support from someone like you or somehow they find someone else to support them. And we, if you have some feedback on how they can find that person, that's great too. Now there's this other, I'm not good enough. I'm not the person that the kid came to. How do you help that mom be like, it's okay if it's not you? Well, like I said, we're playing this, parents of teens are playing this really delicate balancing game, right? They're trying to give their kid independence and they're trying to make sure they don't totally screw up their lives at the same time. So I call it outsourcing. You lean into the things that you're good at. If you're a mom and you know that you're really good at supporting your kid through friendship crisis, all right, lean into that. Be that person for that. But if you can't support them through, for example, the sex talk, okay, let's find somebody who can. And if that's not you, cool. You can't be an expert on everything. You can't know how to handle everything the very best way. So your best option is to find someone who can, someone that you trust, and let that person handle it. Dad or aunt or uncle or whoever, that's okay. It doesn't have to be you. In the same way that like you can't help them with all the homework, They're going to come to you at some point with something that you're like, crap, I don't know how to do this. And you're going to have to outsource it. You're going to have to find a YouTube video or a teacher or a tutor or something. Same concept. It doesn't mean that you're not good enough. It just means that you didn't have the skills in particular time to address that particular issue. You can build them up over time so you can do it later. But if you need it addressed right then, just find somebody who can. 
and be okay with it and communicate with that person too. So make sure that if you're letting your kid go to somebody else, that you trust the advice that they're going to give them and that you feel confident that person will share with you if something big that you need to know about comes up, that they'll tell you about it. Yeah, setting some ground rules almost. I also love that this is teaching the kids that they don't have to know and do everything, right? Because if we pretend as moms that we truly can do everything and we're the best at everything and we set that expectation, then when our kids realize that they're not the best at something in particular, they're feeling less than where if we allow them to understand like we're only all so good at so many things and that's why it's beautiful that we're all so different to gain support from others. Have you seen that play out with some kids that you've had a success story for seeing parents let go? And how has that kind of played out? What are some success stories? A kid comes to mind and she really struggled with anxiety and depression. And I had worked with her to get her to communicate that to somebody besides me. And at this point, we were in it a couple on. And mom was scared. So the whole thing I did was I taught mom to do honestly what I would have done. I just taught her to respond in the same type of way, in the same empathetic, genuine way as I would, because that's what her kid responded to about me. And I helped that mom build her skills. As we got towards the end of our time together, that mom called me and she was like, my kid just came to me and she told me that she was anxious and I handled it and we talked about it and we figured out a solution and I did it like I helped her through it. And she was terrified at the beginning that she couldn't do that. She was terrified. She was like, I don't know what to do. I've never been anxious. I have no idea how to deal with anxiety. What am I supposed to do? And all it was a matter of figuring out, okay, what works for your kid and how can you support her through that? And kind of linking them together and saying, hey, mom's going to try this new thing. I need you to be on board with mom trying this. It might feel weird. I still need you to do it. And saying to mom, mom, I'm asking you to do this new thing. It might not be comfortable, but I still need you to do it. Like, just trust that it's going to work. And if they do, it always does. Like, always does. If you can go into something with the intention of, I want to help you and I love you and that's all there is. That is super powerful stuff. And teenagers see that and they know that and they can pick up on if you've got like a genuine energy or not. Because if you're just like, I don't want to deal with this. They know. Yeah. And I'm over here not laughing, but the mom is like, I've never been anxious. I don't know what to do. You're anxious about talking about anxiety with your kids. It's so funny how often... We don't realize something relates to us when there's a label on it. But when we really break things down and we realize, oh, wow, so many of us are navigating really similar versions of similar feelings. We just maybe call it different things, but so many are on the same playing field. How have you noticed the community aspect of this? Before we clicked record, we were talking about how so often women and parents are so supported by others going through the same thing. But we all know as parents, we don't want anyone to question our parenting ability. That's just even if you aren't consciously aware of that subconsciously, you don't want your parenting ability questioned. So when you get into a community group and you're saying, hey, this is something we're struggling with, it's super uncomfortable. But always, almost always, I haven't seen yet where there isn't so much value in that. So let's talk to the mom that's scared to say, hey, this is really hard in our house right now. 
how do we open up the doors so that they can be supported? So something that's really important to me is building up that support of that mom that's struggling with that teen. So when you're pregnant, everybody comes out of the woodwork to tell you all of these things that you need to know about these babies and what they're going to do and how you're going to do it. There's literally this outpouring of support when you're pregnant. And then when their toddlers like get some support, like you, you get potty training advice, you get all that basic stuff. And then it's like they hit tween and teen and it's like, oh, well, you're supposed to know what to do about that. You were supposed to know that. How? How were you supposed to know that? And furthermore, we are only as good at parenting as our parents were at parenting us, like period. So for example, you went through high school and you got all the way through 13 years and you were good and you never had a single issue and like you were on honor roll and you went to college and there was never a big deal. But your kid is struggling now. Chances are you don't have the skills that you need to deal with that. And that's not your fault. It just means that you've never been put in a situation in which you needed those skills. Your parents didn't have to have those skills either. So it was never modeled for you on how to do it. So honestly, I would say like, don't beat yourself up about you don't know what you don't know. You can't. Every single parent out there struggles with teen years, whether they tell you or not, they're struggling in some way, shape, form, or fashion because the act of letting go of that control and letting them grow up into adults, it's hard. It yeah. just is. And it's okay. Like in the same way that bringing home your newborn is terrifying and you kind of have to embrace the, I'm scared about doing this, but I'll do it anyway. The kids and maybe somebody else yeah. got to do the same thing as a parent of a teen. You have to say, okay, like I'm willing to ask for help here. I'm willing to take all the advice. Now you got to be careful as to who you take the advice from. The same concept applies. Like the support that we get as moms, I hate that it ends at almost toddlerhood and then it becomes a, you should have known how to deal with that. How is my question? They don't come with a book. Yeah. And beyond our kids and parenting and knowing that, there's always new things thrown where when you're a baby, so many things can be influencing your outside perspective and you're not as plugged into society as a newborn, as a teenager, where your teenager is now on social media. There's all these other things that are completely, I shouldn't say out of your control, but there are other variables in your day-to-day -day that now you have to learn how to not just navigate your own kid, but everyone else that's talking to your kid too right. and how that shows up. Let's talk a little bit about social media and the internet world. What are some, I don't know, guidelines that you recommend for parents to implement or some things to be aware of or just kind of ways to navigate that world out there with teens that make it so hard? So... Social media is hard for me because I see so much benefit of kids being able to be connected with other kids when they're, mm -hmm. they don't be physically present. But then there's this also this really awful side of social media that honestly, unless you have a teenager that's struggling with it, you usually don't see in that it's comparisonitis. They ended up having really skewed views about what things are and what they mean. And so honestly, like, you need to teach your kid. You need to teach your kid as much information as you possibly can. You need to be willing to be open and honest with them about all subjects because they're going to get their information from somewhere. And would you rather them be getting it from you or getting it from Suzy Q down the street? 
So also like making sure that you know your kids' friends, that you know who they're talking to. I really, I honestly take a really strong stance on social media. I really don't recommend that kids get on social media at all, simply because I've seen kids as young as like 10 get in some really big trouble with social media. But I don't live in medieval times. I understand that most kids are going to have a cell phone. So like my advice is to be smart about it. Make sure that you're monitoring your kid's phone. They don't need access to their phone for all hours of the day, especially at nighttime. That blue light really screws up their REM cycle. If they can't sleep, probably wise because they've got their phone on all night. But really making sure that you're communicating with them about what their expectations are around social media and then following through. Like if they're struggling, saying, okay, this is what's going on. This is why we can't do this. And helping them figure out how to navigate that. Because this is brand new for most parents. I didn't have a Facebook job. I was in college. I don't know what works. By extension, I don't know how Snapchat works. I don't know how Twitter works. I don't know how any of this stuff works. They do, though. They do. They yeah. know how to work around whatever barrier you're putting in place. So we need to make sure mm-hmm. before you ever give your kid a phone, you need to make sure you can trust them with it. And if you can't, if your first instinct is, nope, I can't trust them, I want to rethink giving them unfettered access to social media or the internet and maybe consider something like a bark phone. I tell my husband all the time when our kids grow up, they're going to get really stupid phones that only fit messages. And there are so many cool things now too, like kids watches and things like that, where you can call your kids and they can text five people on the watch, but they can't do anything beyond that. So there are so many cool resources now But I do think a point that you made about making sure your kids are probably smarter than you on the device. And I remember when I was in high school, I had a flip razor phone and my dad put location services on it and he could track me at wherever I was. But I learned how to turn it off in like two days. So it didn't get him very far. And I wasn't doing anything that bad. And having that conversation now, we both joke about it. But If I had understood now as a parent looking back, it's like, what if something did happen to me and my dad needed to be able to know where I was or why I didn't come home from school and have some safety around me? But I was like, you're just not giving me any freedom, you know? So allowing those conversations to be had because, yeah, I have a totally different perspective around it now of the safety of a teen girl. I was dropping off bank deposits for my first job, like being able to have some safety. But having those open lines of conversation and you talked about having the tools that your parents taught you are probably as far as you go. And we can love our parents and just know that we need more tools. Every generation needs more tools. And I saw this reel the other day that you made me think of and it said um, it was about fitness and it was saying that kids learn how to be as active as they are from watching their parents and specifically their moms. This one was about. And that if you're a mom and you never work out, how would your kids know to take care of their bodies? If you're a mom and you don't eat well, how would your kids know that's important, that they're watching you? And my personal physical fitness is something that I'm always trying to improve on is how much I move my body. And so it really hit me with saying, okay, wow, I need to think about how much I'm getting up and saying, let's go outside, let's be active, because that's how they're going to learn. You coach parents on so many things. How do you help parents understand the importance of their own 
self-regulation and their nervous system or just good habits of you were saying like, don't be on your phone all night. Well, are the parents reading at night or are they turning their phones off? What are some of the conversations you have and things that you see is a way that people are living right now that need to be shifted a little bit? I don't think I ever have a conversation with a parent that doesn't involve the concept of modeling, which is what you're talking about. And all it means is at the very core of it, like monkey see, monkey do. If they see you doing something, it doesn't matter if you said that you shouldn't be doing it or not. Like they're going to do it. And it's not because they're trying to get on your nerves. It's because that's how human beings are set up. We've got mirror neurons in our brains that are specifically designed for us to do the same things that we see being done. I have a conversation about yelling a lot. If your kid is yelling, probably because you're yelling. You might not realize that you're yelling, but what happens is you start yelling and then your kid's mirror neurons get activated and they start yelling. And then we just get into this big yelling cycle. The same thing happens no matter what the bad habit is. If you manage something a certain way, chances are your kid is going to manage that very similarly. And for me, one of the big things that I really preach on and try to get families to really see is the importance of being open and honest with your kid and modeling that with them and being real and saying, if you don't know the answer, saying, I don't know, I have no idea what the answer is, but we can find out together. We can figure it out. And really modeling that you have this open line of communication with your kid all the time. And what that means is you really have to get to know them. You really have to know what's going on in their lives. And you really have to make sure that the things that you are doing are also healthy so that they mimic that. Because they'll do it without even Mm. have to tell a kid to do it. They're just going to. Yeah. And beyond yourself, let's talk about modeling association and relationships. So not just with your partner per se, like that's part of the conversation. But what about like when mom's hanging out with her friends and what they're talking about and what they're doing and how do we model good relationships and friendships without also having this pressure that you can't ever let go as a parent and you being able to, I don't know, sit around a table with a group of mom friends and talk about a trashy TV show and drink wine. Those like isn't exactly what my friend group looks like, but let's say it does. That's maybe not what you're saying. Hey, this is the best way to go find friends, but also the balance between good conversations and like letting loose. So I think there always needs to be, like you said, there's a balance, right? Nobody's perfect and that's fine. And I really, I have such a hard time because Almost every mom I run into has got this idea that she needs to be perfect. She has to be, she has to do all of these things exactly right. Otherwise, she's going to screw up her kid. And that's just not true. Even if they're struggling, even if like right now they're struggling with all of these terrible things, like chances are when they grow up, they'll be fine. It's just a season in life. It's just a time right now that they're struggling. So really, there's a lot of power in being real and saying like, these are the things that I struggle with sometimes and modeling healthy ways to get through that. Now, you might, like you said, you might unknowingly model some unhealthy ways, but that doesn't mean that they're going to do that. Now, will kids Mm -hmm. do what you do all the time? But as they get older, they'll start pruning out the things that don't fit for them and they'll keep the things that do work for them. And so 
honestly, what you want to do is you just want to expose your kid to as many healthy habits, as many traits that you see are beneficial from different people. If you want your kid to be, you know, kind and somebody that is extremely kind, exposure to that person will automatically make your kid kinder on some level. Yeah. And it makes me think also knowing what isn't kind, right? Because so often what I hear with teen parents is that they find out their child's been bullied or not treated correctly, and they didn't actually even realize that they were being treated poorly. Like, they're just like, this is how teenagers treat each other. And that's not true. And if it is true, there's other teens out there for you to connect with, right? So helping them understand like, hey, when someone treats you this way, it feels good. Let's find more of those. When someone treats you this way, it doesn't feel good. Let's make sure that we understand that isn't how we need to be treated. I think that's important. The other thing that you made me think of is when I hear a lot from parents, my kids just aren't interested in anything. They just want to play video games. They just want to be on their phone. They don't want to do anything. How do you let kids just be themselves and not pressure them to constantly be doing things because they are pressured in the school day and whatnot, but then to also help drive them to find what they are passionate about and excited about and find a better outlet than video games and scrolling? So again, like it's all about balance. What's something that we do at my house is we do the not fun stuff first, because if I do the fun stuff first, I'm not going to do the not fun stuff. So you need to figure out, like, is that how your family is? How do we do things? And is that working for your kid or not? And then going back and figuring out how exactly we can support them through without holding on to too much control. Because there's a big difference in making sure they're supported and controlling them. So you kind of mentioned that we're trying not to pressure them too much. And that's true that teenagers have, they do, they have so much pressure. Peer pressure for teenagers right now is just crazy. And they can't get away from it because most of the time they have phones and social media and all that jazz. It can be really difficult for them to kind of unplug and let go. So model it. Honestly, like that's going to be the big way for them to see and warn them. What I mean by that is if you want them to spend more time outside. It's not going to work for you to walk into their room and unplug their Xbox and say, we're going outside. That's not going to work. What you want to do is you want to sit down with your kid and say, I'm noticing that you're spending a lot of time on your Xbox and I'm really not okay with that. So what I'd like to do is maybe have some time that we spend outside every day and we're going to do this, I don't know, every day at two. We're going to go take a walk for 30 minutes every day. So you're preparing your kid to meet the expectation that you're sitting forward here, okay? And then when two o'clock rolls around, we're we'll knock on the door and say, okay, it's time for our walk. And they're going to be like, no, I don't want to go on a walk. They're going to be mad about it. And that's cool. You can be mad about it. I just need you to go on the 30-minute walk and then you get back on this Xbox if you want to. But you model the things that you want them to do. So if you want them to be making healthier decisions, like you said, like you're going to have to try to make some of those healthier decisions and it's a whole lot easier for a brain to change if you're doing it with somebody than it is if you're doing it by yourself. So if you want to instill those healthy habits, you can even be real with your kid and be like, I don't get outside enough. Can you help me get outside more? I'm struggling to get outside more. Can you help me? 
get outside more? Can we do it together? And that's pretty powerful stuff too, because when you give your kid the power to help you, that's a whole different dynamic because you've spent literally their entire lives helping them. And now that they're teenagers, they're in this really beautiful space where they can start stepping in and helping you and they can bring some reciprocity to that relationship that otherwise hasn't had any. And then you guys can start building a relationship that you're going to have throughout adulthood. And so you can keep those boundaries, obviously, those really good parent boundaries, but also build a relationship up to be able to withstand adulthood. Yeah. And I love that you're talking about the foundation of the relationship and the reciprocal benefit rather than saying, because you're old enough to do chores, now you have to do chores or now you have to do this because you're old enough and able Now you have to pay me back or I've spent so long caring for you. I hear this. It's okay if you're doing this, if you're listening, it's okay. We just learn by doing. But I hear this a lot is, oh my gosh, when my kids are old enough, I can't wait for them to start doing this for me. But rather saying, hey, I want your support and let's do this together. And now you're more, not my peer, but we can have adult conversations because you're here. So let's do this together. Let's support each other instead of just like, okay, now you owe me back. So when I was a kid, my mom worked midnights when I was a teenager and I was home a lot by myself. And that's usually the time when most moms, they do all their stuff. They do dinner and they do laundry and they do all the things. My mom slept during the day and she worked at night. And so whenever I got old enough to be able to do laundry, she sat me down and she was like, look, This chore is too much for me to do. I'm responsible for washing your clothes. They're not going to get washed because I have to sleep and I have to run our house and I have to do all these other things. Could you help me by doing your own laundry? If I teach you how, do you feel like you could do it? And I was like, yeah, that's what she gave me to do, sure. But that was completely different than if she had come at me and been like, you got to do your laundry now. You're responsible for doing your laundry for the rest of your life. And I'm not going to help you do it anymore. Those are two very different approaches to a problem. And the responses you're going to get are very different. So my response was, okay, mom, how can I help? How you ask for that help, it makes a big difference as to the, to the answer that you're going to get from a kiddo. Yeah. And then on the flip side, if you have a busy week at school, using that same example, giving your child the power to be like, hey, this chore is too much for me this week. Can you help me now? Because we need to help each other out and giving them the ability to say when things are too much, right? But allowing them to also say, hey, sometimes it's too much for me too. So let's help each other out and trade back and forth. I love that. Let's shift hats for a moment. You shared that your husband is gone for work a lot. So often you can play the single mom role. What are some habits that you've implemented to be a busy working mom and your kids are pretty little still? I know you have some support with family, but what are some ways that you make sure to show up for yourself alongside all the other things that you're navigating and carrying? So routine for me is a big deal. I have things that each day of the week is kind of one thing that I need to do. And I try to just limit it, honestly, to one, maybe two. If I'm having a really good week, maybe two things that I need to get done. And my kids, they know that this is what we do. So when my daughter was in preschool, our routine looked very different. When we started summer, 
we completely upended our routine. And I sat her down and I was like, okay, things are going to look different now. We're not going to get up and we're not going to go to preschool anymore. And we're not going to get up and leave the house every day. These are the things that we're going to do. And this is how our routine is going to be. And on Thursdays, we're going to go to the splash pad and whatever. But I need to know what's coming. I need to know what is happening. And I find that when my kids know, they are a lot happier and they don't get any surprises. So for me, routine and predictability. And for my kids to be able to predict how I'm going to react to something or what we're going to be doing is a really big deal for me. Yeah. So for me, routine is a big deal. And then like on top of that, communication, being really open and honest about what exactly is happening. That was something that was instilled in me in a really early age. My mom was a very, very open communicator. And her philosophy was always, if you're old enough to ask the question, you're old enough to get the answer. And I really have taken that into my own parenting because, you know, my daughter's, she's just four. But even now, sometimes she'll ask a question and I'm like, is she really old enough to be asking this question? It doesn't matter. Like, I can give her an age-appropriate answer out. Yeah. Going too far in, in one direction or the other. But that open communication is really powerful because she knows that she can come to me with whatever question she's got and we'll figure it out together. So communication and routine for me are a really big deal. I have a hard time asking for help when I need it. So I also, I try to pre-plan my help out every week if I can, yeah, if possible. So I'll sit down with my mom. She comes a couple hours a week and keeps my kids so I can do stuff like this. And so we sit down usually on Sundays and we say, okay, like this is what we're going to do this week. And this is how we're going to do it. And I try to do that with my husband too, but his job is so unpredictable that usually we can't count on it. So I really lean into planning support, making sure our routine is good and being really open about everything. Yeah, so good. Communication, asking for help. We can always do more of it. There are some things that you're implementing with your kids that I'm sure you've learned along the way. And communication, like you just said, is one of them. For the parents of younger kiddos that are like, gosh, what can I do now to help my teen down the road? Knowing that some things just are what they are, are there certain things that you see time and time again that you would really recommend a parent focusing on if they could focus on one thing to really implement in their children? If you could focus on one thing, then your one thing that you need to focus on is connecting with them. So what I mean by that is in their bad moments, finding a way to make a connection with finding a way for them to feel supported in that moment. So I try really hard to be as intentional and as connected as I possibly can be with my kids, but that's sometimes just not feasible because, you know, life and there's sometimes things that I'm doing and you can't have my full attention all the time and that's okay. But when I am giving her or my son, when I am giving them my full attention, like they've got it. They've got mom and they know they've got my intention. We are doing whatever it is together. And so there is no question. And specifically what I've done with my daughter, co-regulation is a really big deal for little kids. And what I mean by co-regulation is we're both really upset right now and we can't talk about this. How can we calm down together? How can we get to a point together where we can talk through whatever it is? When I first started working with kids and families, most of the advice that you get for little kids is 
to give them some sort of ultimatum, a consequence. If you don't do this, is going to happen. I found that does not work with my kid. It just doesn't. And so I had to really shift the way that I do things with her. And my inclination, thing that worked with me was like one, two, three. It doesn't work with my kid. So now I had to shift and I had to say, okay, how can I connect with her? And how can she know that she's being supported through this? And I can keep my boundaries intact. And she didn't walk all over me. Mm -hmm. And for us, the answer was we really started connecting. So when she was having like big major meltdowns, she doesn't do this so much anymore because I implemented this, but she was having these big major meltdowns. I would just sit with her physically in her space until she got calm enough to do whatever it was that I was asking her to do or until she got calm enough to say, mama, hold me. Because mm-hmm. my daughter doesn't want to be touched when she's up, which is cool. So my solution is just I sit in her physical space until she's ready and then mm-hmm. rest whatever it is. So there's lots of reasons that I do that. But the big main reason is because when your toddler is in the throes or for me, I guess my preschooler, when she's in the throes of this tantrum, when her emotions are running really high, she is not hearing me. She does not hear me saying, if you throw that, you're going to nor does she care. She cannot rationalize out, oh, I'm being too, I'm too upset right now and I need to calm down because mom is upset and I'm throwing, like she can't do that. And me expecting her to do that is not realistic. So instead, I stop and I sit with her and we just kind of honestly coexist until she's calm enough. And then I'm like, okay, this was the problem. Can we do something different? And usually when she gets calm enough, she's like, yeah, okay, we can do whatever it was that I wanted her to do in the first place. But just the act of me not being scared of her big emotions, like I'm not locking her in her room. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying like, I'm not dealing with you until you're calm. No, I'm saying I'm going to sit with you. I'm going to be with you. I'll be here if you need me. It does take some time. Honestly, it doesn't take as much time as it's going to take you to fight your kid. Yeah, we recently had a scenario that was almost exactly what you just said. And that's exactly how I would say things work for us when I do that as well to say, do you want me to sit with you or do you want me to leave you alone? I ask. And then usually he says, stay here with me. And I'll say, do you want me to hold you? And he'll say no. And (laughs) I'll say, "Okay." so I'll sit right here. And then usually he comes around and same thing of coming back. And then I think prior to a tantrum or if we're not in a heated emotions, you were saying giving them one thing like you need to do this and something that's worked well for us in a similar age group is giving choices, but I pick the choices. Yes. So you don't get to pick the choices. I'm picking the choices, but you get to make the choice. And that works really well for us as well. We have had so much good conversation. I know we're going to have to have you back. I know you have an amazing Facebook group that parents of teens can pop into. Can you share a little bit about that Instagram and the other places that we can find you? And of course, we'll link everything in the show notes. So I've got a Facebook group. I'm actually I'm pivoting just a little bit and I'm thinking I'm going to start offering more support on YouTube and I've got a YouTube channel. I'll make sure that you've got the link to that that you can put. And then also I'm writing a book. I don't think I told you that when I, when we did the prelude. No, I'm writing a book and it's called Not Your Mama's Parenting Advice. It's all about ending the cycle of conflict with your teen. And it basically just a guide on how you can use connection and collaboration in your favor to end that cycle of conflict. In that book, 
I'm hoping to launch it in mid-June, but we'll see if that works out. And I've got an Instagram and it's at Coach Jesslyn for Parents is my Instagram handle. But right now I'm hoping to focus a little bit more on YouTube. And I'm pretty sure my YouTube handle is at Coach Jesslyn for Parent one, I want to say. Perfect. We'll link all of that below. And we love to know just what is something that you currently have as a goal? What is something that you're excited about or you're working towards? I mean, you just named a couple, a book, a couple other things. But if there's anything else that you're like, this is my primary goal for this season of life, what is that? My biggest goal here is I'm starting this coaching program and my biggest goal is to get my three beta clients so I can actually build it and I can start really helping parents navigate this season in a really much more tangible way than I've ever really been able to do it before. And right now it's a 16-week parenting intensive that includes coaching. It might end up being longer or shorter. I'm not quite sure yet, but right now I'm working on getting those three beta clients and that's my big goal. Awesome. That's so exciting. Well, thank you so much for being here, Jesslyn. So much value. Mamas, go get this insight. We need to make teen life a little easier. We'll catch you soon. Thanks. Sometimes the smallest act of love is all a mom needs to feel reinvigorated. If you can relate to that, I'd feel so supported by your five-star rating and written review. Take a moment and let me know what you thought about this episode.